cue sappy music. Hey there, Fighting for the Faith podcast listener. Just want to remind you at the top of the program here that Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. You know, no, the music isn't working. Kill the music. Yeah, sorry. I see other guys who use sappy music. I, uh, bad idea. Remind me to talk to you after the program. Anyway, just want to remind you, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you, your generous gifts, financial contributions to keep bringing this program to you. If you don't support us financially already, visit our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on one of the friendly yellow buttons. Fill it all out. You know what to do. Or if you would like to do the traditional thing, you can make your check payable to Fighting for the Faith. Send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Okay, now you can play your music. Yeah. Enjoy listening to the program. I enjoyed making it. I hope you enjoy listening to it. Here we go. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Thursday, December 12th, 2013. Well, that was a whiz-bang episode yesterday, the debate between uh, Dr. James White and Chris Pinto. I'm going to let those guys do the... uh, the unpacking there i'm sure on each of their programs they're going to pick apart the other guy and i'll leave all that commentary to them thank you for tuning in you're listening to fighting for the faith my name is chris rosebro i am your servant in jesus christ and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment the goal of which help you to think biblically help you to think critically help you compare what people are saying in the name of god to the word of god no a shortage of crazy things being said out there we take the time to slow down and stop and open up our Bibles and see if what we're being taught is true or if it's false. And uh, if you'll notice that there's kind of a recurring theme lately here at Fighting for the Faith, and that has to do with the evangelical industrial complex or the evangelical celebrity machine. Uh, I think it's important to note that uh, yesterday, Slate Magazine, which is a pretty hard-hitting, well-read um, yeah, I would say mostly liberal, um, you know, uh, news outlet, uh, picked up the story regarding Mark Driscoll and their angle on it had to do with the evangelical celebrity machine. And uh, we've got a problem in Christianity and that is, is that it's time to clean house and boy, you know, it, the need is very, very apparent. Uh, the how to clean house, well, that's, that's going to be a tougher thing to do. Uh, but you know that that there is a need to clean house is well obvious, and uh, we provide the evidence for that case on a daily basis here at Fighting for the Faith. All right, now, like I said uh, at the opening of the program, I'm going to leave the um, the debate analysis to you know uh, to James White and, and Chris Pinto. Uh, the one thing that very that became very clear to me very early on as I was moderating the debate is that each of these men came at this, well, let's just say two different approaches. Um, and what I mean by that is that um, rather than coming up with 
possibilities or what ifs or potential scenarios based upon this or that thing, which I think is is a kind of a fair way to summarize uh, Chris Pinto's arguments, which became very clear in the cross examination, um, is that you know he he. He really believes, well, there's a possibility that there's these three documents that are just fantastically old and ancient and stuff like that that have yet to be brought into the catalog of, of manuscripts uh, that are, are, are in the library there at Mount Athos. And so couldn't Simonides had used those? And, and, uh, and so he, he was based upon – he based a lot of his stuff, you know, kind of woven old – um, Victorian age books and, uh, you know, and citations from about that era. Um, and as Pastor Gervais Nicholas Edward Charmley pointed out that uh, if you, uh, that there were a lot of conspiracy theories alive back then that just because it you find an old dusty Victorian book uh, that's uh, putting forward a conspiracy theory regarding the Jesuits and thing, things like that doesn't make it actually true. That doesn't actually – that's not evidence. So uh, what Dr. White did is he provided evidence and uh, and <laughs> and then with that evidence and his understanding of what it would take to basically – create something like Codex Sinaiticus uh, you know, made with that evidence demonstrated that it's just humanly impossible for the story to be true. Um, you know, it, it'd be like me saying, well, I was stranded on a desert island when I was 19 years old. And, uh, and um, over the course of a few months, I was able to collect together all the raw materials necessary to build for myself a Learjet and uh, and I was able to jet jet back home and rescue myself. You know that that's kind of what we're talking about here because <clears throat> you know, and I know that the technical jargon um, was a little bit difficult to uh, you know to understand if you're not familiar with these concepts. But the idea is is that um, you know if I, I can kind of summarize the argument this way is that the the sheer feat of of uh, Simonides creating. Uh, Codex Sinaiticus. All right, you know, number one, he's got to come up with really good vellum, which is not cheap, by the way. Um, you know, the, the, these are you know the animal skins that have been tanned and and uh, have all the fur gone and, and turned into pa- you know pages that you can write on. Okay, and then you've got the 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 si- apparently you know, according to uh, Chris Pinto, six different manuscripts. Okay, so you've got this this Moscow thing. You've got Codex Alexandrinus. You've got uh, you know you know, and then I forget what the other source was. And then you've got these three unnamed, yet uh, n- never before seen by anybody else. Um, you know, ancient manuscripts. So you got these six different manuscripts, and what you have to do is because all of them will have different readings. Um, you have to collate them into what is called an exemplar, into one text. So you know, and it's extremely difficult to do this. In, in other words, if you're believing, you know, what what Codex Sinaiticus is is kind of like a critical text, if you would. It's a collating of all of these different manuscripts into one manuscript and then you've got the added challenge and here's the added challenge is that you know something like you know the the Moscow you know codex and you know things like that is that you have to go from a minuscule text and 
get rid of all of the rough breathing marks, you know, all of the accents, all of the punctuation, and then backwards engineered into what's called an Unsel script, you know, which is, you know, how the ancient, uh, you know, you know, the ancients, ancients, ancients wrote in Greek. They didn't have uh, upper and lower cases. They didn't, you know. And yeah, you just you just think, and and it's got to be done in a certain amount of time, a very brief amount of time. While uh, Simonides is, of course, a nineteen-year-old, and you know, it's like saying, yeah, I I actually, you know, um, I'm the one who built the uh, the Empire State Building, you know, and I did it. Um, you know, because everybody knows that I'm really good with my hands and I, I, I built the empire state building and I, you know, basically used a dolly, um, you know, a, a, a chisel and a hammer and, um, some really good climbing equipment, you know, and I was able to, you know, so that's, <laughs> and so you're just listening to this thing and, and uh, anyway, you, you kind of get what I'm saying is, is that, so James White just did a stellar job of basically saying, you know, for to say, oh, and then you know, of course you got all of the evidence that's well documented that there's at least four, maybe six different hands. And what you mean by hands is, uh, you know, we're talking about actual handwriting, you know, uh, different scribes who participated in the creation of uh, Codex Sinaiticus and. It, it's it's you know it's just one of those things where you know it you, when you take a look at the evidence and put the claim you know scrutinize the claim according to what is literally humanly possible uh, the scenario seems to you know let's just say just flies apart so anyway it was a fascinating debate to listen to again it's a it's a you know it was a story of contrast two completely different approaches to this. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, an objective listener would easily be able to see the differences and the veracity of, uh, of one claim over another. So anyway, <clears throat> enough said. I'm, and like I said, I'm sure that, you know, uh, James White um, on his uh, alf, you know, on his, you know, firing, what is the name of his program? The dividing line, the dividing line pro, you know, his program there that uh, I'm sure he's going to spend time, um, you know, doing a postmortem on the debate and, and, uh, and, you know, expounding upon some of the things that, uh, that were brought up and comments made by Pinto. And I'm sure Pinto will do the same. And if you want to listen to those, go find their respective, uh, respective uh, podcasts and radio programs and, uh, and listen in. I'm sure the the postmortems will be just as educational as the debate was itself. Now, all of that said, I I've got my program notes here, and we're going to talk. We, we got some things we got to talk about here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. We'll, we'll ease into today's program, and just so you know, uh, to, uh, tomorrow will be our light episode. You know, it the, oh, this was a tough week. I got to tell you, this just the past you know, two and a half, three weeks have been a whirlwind uh, here at Fighting for the Faith, and I'm trying to figure out how I'm going to settle down. But um, so today is an, a normal episode of Fighting for the Faith, um, and uh, and then Friday will be our uh, our light episode. We will continue with our Christianity 101 lectures with uh, Pastor Erding Lastman because I just think they're spectacular. And uh, so let's talk about what we're going to do today. You know, and I, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to get to all of this. Um, let's see here. We're going to begin with <laughs> we've got a William Tapley update now. In case you haven't heard the news, Time Magazine has announced their Person of the Year 
and uh, you know, which is a big deal. I mean, you know, you, they, you know, it used to be man of the year. Now it's become person of the year because it could be a, a dude or a, or a gal. And uh, so the person of the year that made the cover of Time magazine was Pope Francis. And uh, William Tapley, of course, has some prophetic insights that he's got to share with us regarding that. And by the way, you know, this means that this is probably now what the since I've really been eligible, this is probably the 20, 25th year in a row that I have, you know, I've clearly come in a close second for, for, time, for times person of the year. But one of these days, you know, I, I'm thinking just one, one of these days I, I will no longer come in second, but I'll actually, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, every, every year when somebody posts on my Facebook wall, you know, something related to the person of the year, I always say, oh, bummer. Once again, I came in close second. You know, that's just my standard answer. Anyway, okay, so we got the William Tapley update. Um, I don't even think I'm going to have time to get to this one second. I'm going to scratch it off my list here. Um, then, well, let's see. We So we've got the William Tapley up, update. We'll take a break. When we come back from the break, uh, we're going to talk, you know, kind of an extended Mark Driscoll, Rick Warren, celebrity pastor update. We And we, uh, we're uh, going to be premiering some new music that we're going to put into the mix uh, when we're doing Mark Driscoll updates. We have several different songs that we use now, and there'll be a third that I'll be premiering after the break. And then in hour number two, uh, we're going to be listening to another celebrity pastor um, who has no clue what the Bible is about. Uh, we're going to be going to Faith Church in St. Louis, listening to a David Crank sermon entitled um, dream big, even if you're little, and you know, it's supposedly uh, a, 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 an exegetical preaching of the story of Zacchaeus. And um, if you stay tuned through the uh, sermon review, you'll find it is anything but an exegetical sermon on the story of Zacchaeus. So that's what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith. I strongly recommend that you uh, make yourself comfortable. And uh, fuzzy bunny slippers, by the way, they do enhance your listener experience. And you think, well, why is it that, Chris, you talk about fuzzy bunny slippers so often here at Fighting for the Faith? The reason why is because um, the seeker-driven guys, they're all about um, uh, worship experiences, right? I mean, you come to our, you know, our multi-site megaplex um, and, uh, and come and enjoy the worship experience. And you think, what, what on earth is a worship experience? I have no idea what a worship experience is. Um, but, um, you know, but since experience is such an important thing, I have found ways that, you know, things that will enhance your listener experience. And from experience, I can tell you, that you know, listening to Fighting for the Faith, the experience of it is greatly, greatly increased um, by merely um, adding some fuzzy bunny slippers into the mix. Although they're becoming more and more difficult to find nowadays. Just do want to let you know that. Okay, so without any further ado, we're going to dive into the program proper. And since we're starting off with a William Tapley, Thirty Gill of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update, that requires us to do uh, well this. Fury's beating down your head. 
song if you know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. It's the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Bom, 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 bom. That's right, that's right. Really bad theological karaoke here at Fighting for the Faith. <laughs> okay. So, the uh, Pope, Pope Francis, has made the cover of Time Magazine as Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And, of course, I have no idea what the prophetic eschatological significance of that is. But, thankfully, uh, William Tapley, the third eagle of the apocalypse and the co-prophet of the end times, he's on it. Okay? I mean, there is nothing prophetically significant that slips by William Tapley. And so, let's find out... What the significance uh, <laughs> of this latest development of Pope Francis being named Time Magazine's Person of the Year is, here is William Tapley. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. Now this will be just a very brief video. As I've been saying over and over again, God is warning us. God is warning us. God is warning us. I okay, did you get that? Okay, he said it three times. Okay, and I, I think the reason why William Tapley said it three times is one time for the Father, one time for the Son, and one time for the Holy Spirit. So he, he that was a Trinitarian way of telling us that God is warning us. <sighs> okay, so God is warning us, and you better pay attention, okay, because <laughs> the God that William Tapley believes in is the worst communicator ever i mean he's incapable of actually sending a warning that everybody stops and goes whoa that must be a warning from god so what is the warning that god has sent to us most recently william are you paying attention let's take a look at the picture of pope francis on the cover of time magazine yeah, all right because they showed him with two horns. <laughs> yeah, I guess they did. <laughs> so I guess... <laughs> so the artistic rendition of Pope Francis that made the cover of Time magazine, uh, the Pope's head with his little, um, I don't know what they call those, the the Pope beanie that he wears... I know that's not what they call it, but the Pope Beanie is white, and of course the letters, uh, the, the the name of the magazine Time, it's in white also. But the Pope's face covers the M, except for just the two top tippy top portions of the letter M, and the way his face covers it up, it looks like <laughs> the Pope has horns. This this is true, William. I'm so glad you found this. And as you know. In the book of Revelation, the beast that comes up out of the earth with two horns symbolizes the false prophet. Okay, so William Tapley, are you telling us that Pope Francis is the false prophet prophesied in the book of Revelation? Is that what the editors of Time magazine are trying to tell us? Now, he's not the only one. Miley Cyrus wore two horns in her infamous twerking video. Yeah, that's true. Maybe she's the false prophet. Okay. The elevator man in Gangnam Style wore two horns. 
Yeah. Boy, the, the eschatological plot thickens, doesn't it? And all three of these are images of the false prophet. In the twerking video, and twerking is a imitation of animal sex, the two beasts, Miley Cyrus and the other man who was dressed in black and white, he symbolized the Antichrist, she symbolized the false prophet. In Gagno style, the elevator man, he has two horns, and of course, Psy symbolized the Antichrist. And this was also indicating animal sex between the two beasts. Let's take a little closer look at Pope Francis, because this is... Yeah, with that little angle there, um, I don't know if I want to take a closer look. I'm a little f afraid here. What, what, what is your video rated? Really, rather disturbing. Now, the editors of Time have done this before. The two points of the M indicate two horns, and they are trying to give a demonic image of Pope Francis. But do they recognize that they are also portraying the false prophet? Probably not. Now, I'm not saying Pope Francis is the false prophet. I'm so glad you cleared that up for your mostly Roman Catholic audience. Nobody considers Time Magazine an expert on the end times. On the other hand, we do know that the false prophet and the Antichrist are almost upon us. And we do know we have to be prepared to wash our robes and make them white in the blood of the Lamb. All right, so that's the latest William Tapley video. Um, the, finding the prophetic significance of the fact that Time Magazine superimposed that artistic rendition of um, the newest pope, Pope Francis, over the M in such a way that it looks like he's got two horns. Well, this is true. Uh, but uh, thank you, William Tapley, for pointing that out to us so that... Um, <clears throat> We wouldn't miss it, and we can correctly hear God warning us, as you pointed out three times at the beginning of your video. God is warning us. He's warning us. He's warning us. So, if you, folks, if you failed to see the, the warning from God on the cover of Time magazine this week, thankfully, William Tapley is on the job. All right, we are up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter, my name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Kind of have an extended Mark Driscoll, evangelical industrial complex, Rick Warren, celebrity pastor update. Yeah, it's kind of all thrown in there. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Broadcasting our pirate signal into the matrix created by the evangelical industrial complex. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Python's Flying Circus Church. Hello. I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes. Uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. 
It's a dead sermon. That's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon. Beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I shall be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for Firestarter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Uh, uh, well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash 
cheap. And you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Write down the promo code, then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website. Very easy to use, very inexpensive. You save an additional $15. And by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code, a portion of your purchase will go to support Pirate Christian Radio. So again, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. Write down the promo code, click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs. Yeah! Hooray! That was a great happy birthday song. Okay, Charlie, time to open up your presents. All right, Grandpa. Uh, let's see what we have here. Oh, yay! I've always wanted... New teeth. Oh, sorry, dear. I seem to have accidentally wrapped my spare dentures. <laughs> Here's your real present. Oh, look. It's a glow stick. We all know how much you like Star Wars, so we got you one of those lightsaber thingies. Oh. Thanks. Ow. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your celebrity megachurch pastor who's part of the evangelical industrial complex, and for good reason, too. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us. That's right. It's a partnership. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you will see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate. The other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It's a great way to support us. And if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the donate button. Or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Let me thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. Okay, moving along. I'm going to be um, adding some new music into our... <clears throat> Mark Driscoll updates. So, you know, just for for variety's sake, and this music will represent uh, what I think is the new direction. Or, you know, there's kind of been a you know, as this thing has taken on a life of its own out there in the media and the blogosphere, and now that 
John Piper has weighed in on it, and he's you know, weighed in against Driscoll. And Christianity Today had a good article, and there's, an, there's a particular angle that everyone seems to be working right now. So here's our new, but not exclusive, uh, Mark Driscoll update music. Here we go. Busters. I, I get the feeling we're going to have to do another uh, pirate Christian radio fighting for the faith karaoke. I can, you know, when, when there's something weird in your popular book, who, you know, who are you going to call? Ghost writers, you know, something like that. I, you know, the, the lyrics need some work, some serious work. But anyway, let's just put it this way. The, the, the emphasis at this point regarding the Mark Driscoll story uh, pertaining to plagiarism, has shifted. Okay, the emphasis is now on celebrity leadership. The emphasis is on the use of ghost writers. And there are two really good um, articles written about this. Uh, the one is um, Andy Crouch's um, article over at Christianity Today, and, and that is named The Real Problem with Mark Driscoll's Citation Errors. And then there is another really good article uh, written by uh, David Fitch. Um, and David Fitch, his article is entitled uh, The Lesson of Driscoll's Plagiarism, A Rant on Rejecting Celebrity Re- Leadership. Now, I'm going to read portions of both of these uh, because I think they're both very good and they're making very similar points. And then I'm going to talk about why this is so important. Uh, the reason why this is so important is because of the reason why Mark Driscoll publicly has admitted to why he's grown a beard and started wearing tweed uh, vests. Okay, You're thinking, huh? You mean there, Mark Driscoll's actually publicly stated why he's grown a beard and is wearing tweed vests and kind of upping his image and getting rid of the graphic tees? Oh, yes. Mark Driscoll's actually publicly explained why this is the case. And the reason why he's ch- he's changed his image is exactly the reason why this story is so vital and important. Okay, so let's take a look at um, at uh, Andy Crouch's uh, Christianity Today article. The name of it is "The Real Problem with Mark Driscoll's Citation Errors," and it isn't plagiarism. Now, Andy Crouch at Christianity Today it plays down, and I mean really plays down uh, the plagiarism issue. Okay, um, and he makes a point that the real issue isn't plagiarism, and and you know, it, but it's something else okay 
And so let's let's leave. I'm gonna pick up about you know two, maybe a third or halfway through his article. Okay. Um, and here's here's um, what he says. Uh, again, I'm, we're kind of parachuting into his article, and I want you to read it for yourself. Um, and you know, I've linked to it over my uh, at Facebook as well as on uh, Twitter. But here's what he says: There's something truly troubling here, in my view. Not that Pastor Mark Driscoll carelessly borrowed a section of a commentary for a church-published Bible study, but actually, I, again, I have to correct him here, that was actually made available for sale. and was for sale at the Resurgence website as well as Logos.com, at, at, and, and now you cannot purchase it anywhere. But it, So it, it, taking the book Trial, Eight Witnesses, and saying that it was just an in-house thing, that's not a correct or fair way of discussing that particular work. But I digress, but we continue. So he says... Um, so it, so he, he says, in my view, it's not that Mark Driscoll carelessly borrowed a section of a commentary for a church-published uh, Bible study, but that Mark, Pastor Mark Driscoll, and that's in quotes, was named as the sole author of that Bible study in the first place. In fact, when Driscoll introduced the series On Peter to his church in 2009, uh, in, a, in a 2009 letter quoted by Religion News Service's Jonathan Merritt, he forthrightly credited two researchers— Justin Holcomb, who worked for an outside research firm called the Docent Group, and Crystal Griffin, a deacon at Mars Hill. Uh, Glenn Lukey, founder of the Docent Group, told me his firm's records show that Holcomb provided Mars Hill all the documentation needed to properly cite the InterVarsity Press commentary, which is, <laughs> oh, wow, that's kind of explosive, and yet it didn't get properly cited. But we continue. So with their help, he told his congregation, quote, I am now sending out literally thousands of pages of content a year, as well as preaching and teaching hundreds of hours of content a year. So why were their names not on the final work? This is what is troubling uh, about much of the work attributed to celebrity figures in the Christian world today. It's not their own work. It is the work of teams of people, often included, including highly skilled and dedicated researchers and writers. Publishers and public figures often defend this practice of sole authorship as the industry standard. Indeed, in certain domains like politics and government, it is taken for granted that top figures write little or none of what is attributed to them. When the economist Larry Summers left Harvard to join the Clinton administration, he is said to have remarked to his friends, quote, when I was in academia, it was the it was the greatest possible sin to commit uh, to commit to sign my name to something I did not write. Now that I am in government, it's the secret to success. Mm-hmm. End quote. He then uh, Crouch then continues. He says, even in the Christian world, it is by no means just celebrity pastors who are subject to these pressures who make use of unattributed assistance. It was I was surprised when an interview conducted earlier this year about my book Playing God appeared under the name of RNS's Merritt. Uh, this will be Jonathan Merritt, even though the interview was conducted entirely by a writer named Mar- uh, Margaret. Uh, Margot Starbuck, who was not named at any point in the final piece. When I contacted Merritt about this yesterday, he promptly and sincerely explained that Starbuck often arranges and conducts the interviews for him, preparing the questions in consultation with him. Starbuck gave the same account of their arrangement without any further prompting from me and clearly wanting to do the right thing. Merritt quickly updated his bio at RNS to make the arrangement clear. 
There's nothing wrong per se with teams of people working together to produce content. That happens every day, including at Christianity Today. In fact, not only is there nothing wrong with it, Christians of all uh, of all people should know that all true creation requires collaboration. We believe, after all, that even the Creator God is not uh, is not one splendidly isolated monad, but that three glorious persons who always and everywhere work together in the divine economy. And it is the very nature of God to share power with the ones he creates in his image, male and female. So Christians should have a far higher standard than the world around us for acknowledging the role of collaboration in creation. And right in the New Testament, we have a model of how that can work, the letters of the Apostle Paul. That is how we speak in shorthand of the Apostles' letters, but Paul himself was amazingly quick to credit his partners in ministry, and so it seems, fellow authors, even when the letters are written in the first person, singular, and clearly reflect the Apostles' personal heart and mind, Paul and Sosthenes, 1 Corinthians, Paul and Timothy, Philippians and Colossians, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, the Thessalonian correspondence, and Paul's letters are chock full of references to his partners and friends, including those like Phoebe, to whom he entrusted the letter's delivery. Indeed, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Romans chapter 16, verse uh, 22, which reads, quote, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the name of the Lord. From Tertius's name and comment, we can guess that he was a scribe or a secretary, not an author in our sense of the word, and probably at least in origin a slave. We can further infer from his name that he was the third son born to his parents, a recipe for being overlooked in a world of promogenitor and many mouths to feed, a world where a third child would simply be called third. And yet Paul interrupts his greetings to the varied members of the household of God in Rome to let third give his own name and his own greeting in his own hand. Mark Driscoll is a human being created in the image of God with great gifts, real limits, and very likely a genuine calling to ministry. This is where I would disagree with Crouch, but we continue. But Pastor Mark Driscoll, the author of literally thousands of pages of content a year, the purveyor of hundreds of hours of preaching, is in grave danger of becoming a false image. No human being could do what Pastor Mark Driscoll does— The celebrity is actually a complex creation of a whole community of people who sustain the illusion of an impossibly productive, knowledgeable, omnicompetent superhuman. The real danger here is not plagiarism. It is idolatry. All idolatry debases the image bearers who become caught up in its train. Idols promise superhuman results. And for a time, they can seem to work, but in fact, they destroy the true humanity of both those they temporarily elevate and those they anonymously exploit. Nothing good can come from the superhuman figure presented to the world as Pastor Mark Driscoll, not for the real human being named Mark Driscoll himself, and not for the image bearers who may be neglected in his shadow. Paul and Phoebe and Tertius could show us a better way. Andy Crouch's article at Christianity Today is 
stellar, and he's made a very valid point. Come, you know, and yesterday on my Facebook and Twitter, I put up a screenshot of a simple Google search that I did, uh, you know, on Google with looking for ghost writers associated with Mars Hill Church uh, who have their uh, their resumes posted at LinkedIn. And I was able to find, with I mean, seriously, with just the press of a button, at least five different ghost writers um, that have on their resume at LinkedIn, um, you know, that are associated with Mars Hill, that they're ghost writers. I mean, it's just it's real simple. I posted the screenshot at Facebook and Twitter. You can find them there, and um, <clears throat> tells you something. See, that's the thing, is that what's being published in the name of Pastor Mark Driscoll. No human being can produce. And it's all of these ghostwriters that are creating the superhuman image of the superhuman leader who is capable of doing everything, you know, producing thousands of pages of content, preaching hundreds of hours of sermons. And all that is is an idol because Pastor Mark Driscoll, the real human being Mark Driscoll, isn't capable of doing all of that, nor is he giving credit to anybody Uh, who's helping to create that image for him. And that's a celebrity. That's an idol. And that's a problem. Now, um, the other article was uh, written by uh, David Fitch, and his article is entitled The Lesson of Driscoll's Plagiarism, A Rant on Rejecting Celebrity Leadership. And the poll quote right at the beginning of the article says, celebrity leadership is the death knell of the evangelical church in America. So that's the poll quote from this. But uh, David Fitch writes, he says, what can be learned by yet another Mark Driscoll fiasco? Is it even worth talking about? Now, notice uh, Fitch here is pointing out the the obvious fact that over and again, we the, the we have Mar uh, we have Mark Driscoll fiascos. Okay, we had the Mark Driscoll fiasco regarding Elephant Room Two, the Mark Driscoll fiasco regarding his preaching through uh, you know Song of Solomon, a particular sermon that he delivered up in Scotland, which uh, was I don't even want to get into the details of that. We got the the fiasco regarding Mark Driscoll saying that there's a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. The the person Mark Driscoll um, has a proclivity for creating fiascos. Okay, Um, and they're not good. But uh, here's what um, David Fitch writes. He says, forget the issue of Mark Driscoll's plagiarism and his recent book. It's the larger issue of celebrity pastoral leadership that bothers me. When a pastor is elevated into celebrity status, when he slash she is removed from being among the people, actually knowing the people he or she ministers among, I wish he, he wouldn't use she, it, is inevitably, it inevitably distorts the church. The leadership itself becomes intertwined in power interests that are more broadly cultural. Such leadership can do little to lead the church forward into mission. It will at best hold the status quo, at worst cause division among followers of Christ into those who are for the celebrity and those who are against it in order to gain more followers or customers faster. This is the way celebrity leadership works. Removed from the local workings of the people's lives on the ground, this kind of leadership becomes ideological. It leads in order to gather more people as fast as it can and then use that people for uh, some ulterior purposes, fame, money, etc. Even when it appears and probably intends to serve the kingdom of God, celebrity leadership is poison for the church. Uh Uh-huh. Absolutely. Now, I'm not going to read all of this, but you know, I'll, I'll put links up to both of these articles at fightingforthefaith.com with this episode. 
of Fighting for the Faith so that uh, you can uh, you can download them and read them for yourself in their entirety. They are both fantastic, and I think that this is where this whole Mars Hill, Mark Driscoll plagiarism fiasco has gone and is having people question the whole celebrity, evangelical celebrity machine, the whole evangelical industrial complex. And what we're finding is, is that uh, the evangelical industrial complex and many of these megachurch pastors have created idols out of themselves, okay, and have uh, performed feats that no human being can perform, and it's dividing the body of Christ as those people, uh, people who are defending the celebrities and those who are uh, critiquing the celebrities, and I think for good reason I critique them often. Uh, but uh, what gets lost in all this? The gospel. Now, why is this story so important? Why, it, you know, the answer to the reason as to why this is so important is actually found in the reason why Mark Driscoll has publicly stated uh, as to the reasons for him changing his image, okay? Mark Driscoll for years has been a guy who's worn youthful uh, costumes on stage, and I think that's the right way of putting it. Graphic tees, tel- uh, uh, um, you know, Levi's, you know, th- things like that. His his wardrobe has been uber casual, and lately, if you've noticed, that Mark Driscoll has... <laughs> has taken to you know wearing a tweed vest and has now he now has a full beard and he's looking more mature well there's a reason for that and the reason for it is well I'll let him tell you in his own words this is from an interview uh that was just published what 6 7 days ago at the Innovate for Jesus YouTube channel mm-hmm. Innovate for Jesus YouTube channel and you can find it Innovate the number 4 Jesus so it's youtube.com Innovate for Jesus and the name of the video is Transitioning to a Pastor of Pastors listen in yeah, absolutely so um so I couldn't help but notice you've been switching from kind of graphic tees to sweater vests. Just that kind vest, of part of just not sweater vests. I thought just it was vest. kind of. I guess no, it's like tweed. This is what the dad wears. <laughs> so you're kind of you're kind of transitioning to the fatherly figure role, right? More with the you want to pastor other pastors. Yeah, and for me, as I get older, I uh, I don't feel like I have anything to prove, but I feel like I have a lot of people to love. If I'm just really honest, God has given me a beautiful family. <laughs> I genuinely love being a dad. And as I read the Bible, that uh, the church is the family of God and that women are like sisters and guys are like brothers and we have spiritual mothers and fathers. I don't know. It's just really captivated my heart. What does it look like to, to have a father's heart for the church, to have a father's heart for the people? And honestly, part of the best thing is I get really hot when I preach, man. You're up high. I tend to trend hot anyways. And then they put the lights on and then you're sweating like Mike Tyson in a spelling bee. So what's kind of nice with the vest is it's... Uh, yeah, it's not quite as warm. Nice, nice fashion statement. It goes yeah. with the beard. It does, it's yeah. All, it's yeah, all part yeah. of the whole... The Logger whole look. librarian look. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so the, what's the reason why Mark Driscoll has recently changed his image? Real simple. Because he wants to be viewed. He wants to project the image of being a fatherly type. And according to the interview, he wants to truly, truly make the transition into being a pastor of pastors. He wants to... Basically, uh, be a father figure to your pastor or my pastor or, you know, guys out there who want to plant seeker-driven churches and things. He's, so it's, he's making it – He's by doing this, by changing his wardrobe, he's now 
decided to go ahead and embrace the fact that he's getting older and send out the vibe that he can be your pastor's dad. That's the idea. Now, do you really want part uh, Mark Driscoll to be your pastor's pastor? Do you want Mark Driscoll to be your the, a father figure to your pastor? Now, before you answer that question, let me remind you of some things that he said. You may have never heard this, but let me give you an, an example of Mark Driscoll's leadership style, if you would, and you know who he goes to for you know crafting his his leadership style and and things of that nature. Here's Mark Driscoll talking about how to keep how does he keep his elders in line and obedient over at Mars Hill. Uh, there's a guy I met. He's a mixed martial artist and ultimate fighter. Good guy. Loves Jesus. He was at church recently, and uh, he coaches a lot of young fighters. Right. And so I, I coach a lot of pastors. So I asked him, I said, what do you do with a guy who just doesn't submit to authority, doesn't obey the chain of command, doesn't listen, doesn't do what he's told, just rebellious, stiff-necked, hard-hearted, and stupid? I said, what do you do with those guys? His answer was brilliant. He said, quote, I break their nose. That was his answer. I said, well, please explain. I mean, I'm taking copious notes. Please explain. Here's what he says. If I get one of these guys in my fighter camp where I'm training guys and he won't play by the rules, he won't listen or respect authority. If I let him get away with it, I have anarchy on my whole team. And next thing you know, no one is doing what they're told and everything falls apart. That's exactly what's happening in Nehemiah's day. So I warn him, you knock it off or I'm going to put you in the ring. I'm going to take you down and I'm going to bust your nose. And if they disobey, disrespect or disregard me, I put them in the octagon. I take them down and I bust their nose. Okay? He said, so you'll notice the guys on my team, they all have a crooked nose and a good attitude. Mm-hmm. So, again, I asked the question. Now that Mark Driscoll's really officially through his clothing, sending out the vibe that he wants to be a, a father figure to your pastor, do you want Mark Driscoll to be a father figure to your pastor? Um, is this the leadership style and model that was modeled by Jesus? Hmm. Let me play another quote for you that we've played here before here at Fighting for the Faith. Here's what I've learned. You, you cast vision for your mission, and if people don't sign up, you move on. You move on. There are people that are going to die in the wilderness, and there are people that are going to take the hill. That's just how it is. Um, too many guys waste too much time trying to move stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate people. Um, I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. And uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy who is like, look, we love you, but this is what we're doing. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus. they got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus. they got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There are people who will uh, be on the bus, leaders and helpers and servants. They're awesome. There's also just sometimes nice people who sit on the bus and shut up. Um, they're not helping or hurting. Just let them ride along. Um, you know what I'm saying? But don't look at the nice people that are just going to sit on the bus and shut their mouth and think, I need you to lead the mission. They're never going to. 
At the very most, you'll give them a job to do and they'll serve somewhere and help out in a minimal way. If someone can sit in a place that hasn't been on mission for a really long time, they are by definition not a leader, and so they're never going to lead. Uh, you need to gather a whole new core. I'll, I'll tell you guys what, too. You don't do this just from your church planting or replanting. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. We just took certain guys and rearranged the seats on the bus. Yesterday, we fired two elders for the first time in the history of Mars Hill last night. They're off the bus, under the bus. Um, they were off mission, so now they're unemployed. I mean, you. this will be the defining issue as to whether or not you succeed or fail. So um, does any of that sound biblical to you? It doesn't sound biblical to me at all. So, I mean, the, the reason why this matters is because Pastor Mark Driscoll, whatever that is, the idol Mark Driscoll, the guy who's capable of put, churning out thousands of pages that he's he's not writing, um, produced hundreds of hours of sermons. He He now has changed his image to really put out the vibe that he wants to be your pastor's father. Is this the kind of man that you want um, to be, you know, mentoring, being a father figure to your pastor? Um, the reason I ask is because don't you think that uh, Mark Driscoll, if he was your pastor's pastor, would be teaching your pastor to be like Mark Driscoll, a celebrity untouchable, a guy who gives the right hand of fellowship to men who deny the doctrine of the Trinity, um, embrace and teach and proclaim the word of faith heresy, um, throws people off the bus because they're not on vision and mission, takes the bus and runs over people and, and gloats about the fact that there's a pile of dead bodies behind the bus. Uh, uh, the kind of man who says, you know, <clears throat> I think there's some good Christian pastoral leadership principles I can learn from a man who is an ultimate cage fighter. And, uh, and you know, and like him, I want to learn how to break the noses of the guys underneath me so that they will have good attitudes and be obedient. Does any of this sound like Jesus? This, see, there's a reason why this matters, is because Pastor Mark Driscoll, the idol that he is, is in the market for becoming your pastor's pastor. And call me old-fashioned, call me biblical, call me what you want to call me, call me, you know, what, you know, all kinds of names. But um, I, none of this, none of this even remotely sounds like the leadership style of Jesus or the ecclesiastical model revealed by God in his word. This is something completely different. And I don't want my pastor being pastored by somebody like Mark Driscoll. I don't want my pastor being fathered by somebody who believes that you got to you throw people off to the bus, off the bus, and and discipline them for not getting in line with the vision. You know, excommunicating them and things like that. Yeah, I would prefer that uh, my pastor be pastored by Jesus and actually seek to emulate Jesus's leadership style and ethics and the ecclesiastical model for the pastoral office laid out in Scripture. Not this nonsense. This cannot be good. This does not. This is the type of mentality that creates cult leaders, not under shepherds under the great shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is our good shepherd. What do you think? 
All right, we are up on our second break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we have got a sermon review that we'll be doing. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. We don't need to rethink Christianity. We need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio. The holiday travel season is now upon us. It came out of nowhere, didn't it? But listen, despite the fact that it comes up so quick, the last thing you want to do is pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. That's why you want to utilize Pirate Christian Radio's longtime featured advertiser, Cheapo Air, for all of your holiday travel needs. Visit our website first, though, piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap and you'll find a promo code there that'll help you save an additional $15 off the cheapo airs already low prices right down the promo code then click on the ad banner and book your holiday travel uh, arrangements uh, using their website very easy to use very inexpensive you save an additional $15 and by visiting our website first and then writing down that promo code a portion of your purchase will go to support pirate christian radio so again piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap write down the promo code click on the ad banner and save lots of money on your holiday travel needs yeah! Hooray! that was a great happy birthday song okay charlie time to open up your presents all right grandpa uh, let's see what we have here oh Yay! I've always wanted... It's a Star Trek uniform! But it's red. What are you trying to say? It was the only colored wool fabric I had. Uh, Try it on! It's, uh, really itchy. Do not fear, nerds of the world. Never again will you have to deal with poorly made gifts and cheap knockoffs. Just tell your antiquated relatives about ThinkGeek. At ThinkGeek, you will find a vast selection of creative and quality products to tickle your every fancy. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Okay, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith Sermon Review Time. We'll be reviewing a sermon by celebrity pastor David Crank, Faith Church, St. Louis. Let's do this right.
The good, the bad, and, uh, well, the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's <clears throat> sermon comes to us via Faith Church St. Louis. David Crank presiding. The name of the sermon is entitled Dream Big, Even If You're Little. And supposedly, this is going to be some kind of exegetical insight so that we can properly understand the story of Zacchaeus. You know, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's what we're going to be listening to. So let me go ahead and uh, kill the music here, and without any further ado, here is David Crank and his sermon, Dream Big, Even If You're l- uh, Little. Here we go. Come on, give it up for Cody. Come on, give it up for Cody. My God, he has no legs. Whoa. I'd like to welcome our television audience here in St. Louis and in Palm Beach and talk to you guys today a little bit about Cody and our own life. So Cody, I guess, is a kid who doesn't have any legs and, uh, you know, but has found a way to overcome all of that. And notice television audience. So David Crank is a true celebrity pastor, right? <clears throat> Should Christians be listening to David Crank? doesn't matter how popular he is. The question is, does he teach and preach God's word correctly? Does he properly exegete it? Does he rightly divide law and gospel? Does he preach sin and grace, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and truly proclaim Christ, or does he proclaim himself, or you, or something other than Jesus? Well, I think this sermon will help <clears throat> answer those questions. Here we go. You had your legs cut out from under you. They left you. You didn't see the setback coming. They said they'd be with you to death do you part, but then they parted. And you're like, man, what what happened? What, what's going on? And sometimes you can get into a negative vein. Instead of counting the blessings that you do have, sometimes we tend to focus on the things that we don't have. I love it when Cody's swimming in the water and nobody told him he can't do that with no legs. And nobody told him that you're not supposed to smile with your mouth open underwater. Come on. But he did it anyway. He's just doing what everybody else would say is impossible. You and I are called to do the impossible. We're, we're supposed to take territory. God is... We're, we're called to do the impossible. Really? Where does the Bible say that? It doesn't. It's called us for such a time as this. We have a purpose, a divine function for our life. But sometimes we come up short in an area. Our legs are cut out from under us. There's a story in the Bible about a guy named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was, he had a couple things going against him. The Bible says that he was a very short guy. He was short in an area. And it made him kind of aggravated. It made him somewhat mean. In fact, they said that his dogs didn't even have fleas. They had hornets. Anybody ever met a guy that mean? And he was a tax collector. Nobody likes those guys. How many- but, um, bump. Now, is he reading the story of Zacchaeus for us? Nope. Some of y'all don't like tax collectors. Raise your hand. You raise your hand because the IRS is probably here today. And if you didn't raise your hand, we'll assume that you didn't pay. I love that bumper sticker that says, don't steal. The government hates competition. That's a good one. But Zacchaeus is a tax collector and he's short. And as a result, basically, he was a Jew who was serving under the Roman Empire. And he would extract taxes from the people. And whatever he got above what was necessary for them, he got to keep. So he was always on the take. He was a take, 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 take charge, take money, take advantage. He was a taker. And then people pointed fingers. Yeah, kind of like celebrity pastors. 
that's the irony here, isn't it? No, notice again, he's not reading the story. Let's take a look at the story. Luke chapter 19. I'll start at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there by the name of Zacchaeus, he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. So not only was he a tax collector, he was the chief tax collector in that area uh, in Jericho. And he was really, really, really wealthy. Okay, He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him and Jesus, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Now keep this in mind. Zacchaeus, because he's not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector, um, he would be considered a complete traitor, a Benedict Arnold. Even before Benedict Arnold was born, he would be hated and loathed um, by uh, his own countrymen there, and for good reasons too. Okay, so Jesus here finds literally sitting in a tree one of the most nefarious, hated sinners of the town of Jericho, and he goes right up to him and says, I must eat at your house today. And Zacchaeus is honored by Jesus. Now, in other passages of Scripture, you know, it says that the Pharisees grumbled over the fact that Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. Okay? So just understand that this act in itself shows Christ's mercy, shows his forgiveness, shows his grace shows that he has truly come to seek and save the lost, that he's truly come not for the healthy, but for sinners. And we all qualify. I mean, this act of kindness on the part of Jesus ultimately leads to Zacchaeus's repentance, which is then shown forth in good works. Watch this. Okay. <clears throat> so all the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Man, verse 7 just burns me. I'll tell you why. The reason why verse 7 burns me is because I used to think like this. But see, the thing is, is that I look at this now and I go, man, Jesus went and had a meal with a sinner. Man, do you think he might have a meal with me? I wish I was that sinner. Because I know I am one. You see, the people there, they're grumbling because Jesus goes to be the guest of a sinner, not even realizing what they're saying. Do you not know that you were born dead in trespasses and sins? Do you not know that you do not measure up to what God's law commands for you? That you are a sinner. And they're grumbling because Jesus goes to be with a sinner rather than rejoice. Rather than rejoice over the fact that Jesus would actually do something like that. If Jesus could be the guest of a sinner like Zacchaeus, he can truly be the guest of a sinner like me, like you. Think about it. But we continue. So Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here I now give half of my possessions to the poor. 
I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That's right. Even somebody as lost as the tax collector Zacchaeus, even somebody as lost as you. Now, the irony that you're going to hear in this sermon is that, keep this in mind, David Crank is really wealthy. His house is ginormous. In fact, he doesn't own one. He owns a couple. He's a pilot. He likes flying planes. He owns a plane. And this is a man who is extremely wealthy. He is a man who fleeces Christ's sheep in the name of Jesus. And he doesn't even see as he's reading this text about, in fact, he won't even read it. He doesn't even read it. If he had taken the time to read it, he may see that Jesus even now would forgive him for all of the money that he's built out of Christ's sheep and lined his pockets with the way Zacchaeus did. And know that there's hope for him if he repents and trusts Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. But that's going to completely be gone on him. Instead, the emphasis he's going to give is, oh, look, he turned into a giver. You need to be a giver, too, and give me your money. That's really kind of the subtext of this sermon that we're about to hear. Let's continue. Years, and it only made him yet that much meaner. So one day, Jesus is coming into town, and it says that Zacchaeus climbed up the ladder of success. He's in this sycamore tree. He's in the sycamore tree, and he's looking, and everybody's like, oh, that was pretty smart. Why did he do that? But then when people see you elevated, they start pointing fingers, and it even makes it worse. They're yelling at him, calling him names. Some theologians believe that that's why Jesus knew his name. Well, Jesus, uh, um, well, Jesus is the Son of God, and he can read into, he could look into a man's heart. The text doesn't say anything about anybody mocking Zacchaeus while he's up on that sycamore tree. It doesn't say anything about that. So Jesus, being God in human flesh, could have just simply known his name because he's God. Okay, Jesus could read the hearts and thoughts of and minds of people. I can't. He can. So. It's weird what you're saying here. Jesus is walking through town. He looks up. Thousands of people everywhere. He says, Zacchaeus, come down. He comes down off the ladder. He's the tallest, shortest guy in the world now because he's like, Jesus knew my name. He's being celebrated. Jesus looks at him and hugs him and he says some crazy words. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, today I'm going to go to your house for dinner. I mean, like me, and the first thing you're thinking is, man, I wish I'd have made the bed. And he's now really excited. Now, Jesus didn't try to change Zacchaeus at all. And God doesn't oftentimes try to change you. His love changes you. Zacchaeus says something pretty amazing in this passage. He looks at Jesus, even though Jesus didn't ask this. He said, if I've done anyone wrong, and I have, I want to pay him back. I want to give him four times more than what I even took. And Jesus is like, wow. His connection from Jesus immediately takes him from a taker to a giver. And, and that's what one of the major attributes of God is. We know this for God. Uh, you kind of missed the whole part about they, the people grumbled because he was a sinner and Jesus was hanging out with sinners and the whole point that Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost. That's what this passage is about. Seeking and saving lost sinners, lost sinners like Zacchaeus. You kind of miss, completely X'd out all of the sin saving part. God so loved the world that he what? 
Dave, say it one more time. He why? Okay, now watch what he does here. This is absolutely blasphemous. I have to back it up so you can hear it without me interrupting. Listen again. I want to pay him back. I want to give him four times more than what I even took. And Jesus is like, whoa. His connection from Jesus immediately takes him from a taker to a giver. And that's what one of the major attributes of God is. We know this. For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. Say it one more time. He what? We love you. Yeah, you're taking John 3.16 and you're ending it at gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And, and as if that was about money. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You left all of the important stuff out. Just, oh, look, God's a giver. Zacchaeus turned into a giver. Wow, isn't that great? What are you talking about? Of God, and part of the reason why is because he loved us first. He's such a giver. But Zacchaeus, though, he had been abused, abnormally used. People spoke ill against him, and he had climbed the ladder of success, and he was very successful. And one thing I want to say, climb the ladder of success. What are you reading? is that God doesn't mind you being successful. In fact, he wants you to be successful. Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree. He didn't climb the ladder of success. How can you say he climbed the ladder of success and then flip that around and say, oh, God wants you to be successful the way Zacchaeus was? By the way, there is a uh, listener of Fighting for the Faith who came up with a fantastic term that uh, we're going to be adding to the Fighting for the Faith lexicon here. And uh, this particular um, term is just, it's brilliant. It's, um, <clears throat> it's called textual harassment. Mm-hmm. Textual harassment is, is the phrase. What we're listening to right now is an example of textual harassment, uh, where you know the, the biblical text is being harassed and harangued and abused and misquoted and made to say things that it doesn't say. And uh, so, yeah, this is a form of textual harassment. We continue. Half of the stuff that Zacchaeus gave away that day was to help the poor, to help the widow, the the fatherless, people that can't help themselves. I mean, to buy prosthetic limbs for, for kids that don't have any legs. Wouldn't it be neat if we could go over to Haiti to some of our mission areas and some of the kids that lost their legs and, and, and perhaps the earthquake years ago, if we could get them prosthetic legs? Wouldn't that be pretty cool? I saw one when I was there last week. He, he made himself a crutch at a fake leg. Wow. Well, if we're not blessed, we can't be a blessing. So Zacchaeus was blessed. God calls him down, and immediately it changes his impression of not just other people but himself. And I want you to pay attention to this for a second. You can't love other people if you don't love you. You can't give what you don't have. And sometimes we don't love ourselves. In fact, sometimes we've climbed the ladder of success, and we don't. This text has nothing to do with loving ourselves either. This is absolutely blasphemous. Even like ourselves. There's times where I don't like me. I'll go home and think, man, I shouldn't have said that. Why did I say that? And I'm trying to drill down right now in my own life and find out why I act the way I act sometimes. Sometimes I react because of the pain in my past and the inferiority of my past makes me want to be meaner when it's the very opposite of what I need to be right now. I'll paint you a picture. I got married when I was 18. Got married for, I was married for eight years and my wife left me. Rejection, pain. What's going to happen? Then my dad dies at 56 years old. Now he leaves me. 
My mom just kind of flipped out a few years ago. Who's he preaching about? Himself. Does this have anything to do with the story of Zacchaeus? Not a thing. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. This is a celebrity pastor. They're not interested in sound doctrine. They're interested in their celebrity. He's on TV. He writes books. He hangs out with Stephen Furtick and people like that. Joyce Meyer. And she left all of us siblings. None of us have talked to her. She won't have anything to do with us. So now I'm sitting here always at different times of the year feeling kind of weird. And, and so then I will actually get in a crowd of perhaps staff or people that I love and go, you know what? doesn't matter. And really what I'm wanting to say is I love you guys. I hope you never leave me. That would make them want to stay. Instead, I go, I could care less who goes. Everybody's hosed me. My own mom left. My wife left. My dad left. I could care less if you leave. We're going on without you. How many of y'all understand that's not the best way to win friends and influence people? But how many would agree with your pastor today? Or maybe you're watching in Palm Beach or St. Louis and you would say, sometimes I act that way. Let's just be honest. Why do we act that way? Because we don't love ourselves many times. We get aggravated, so we try to cover the pain and get above maybe the problem. And, and then we do different things. Whatever your deal is, maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's pornography. Mine is Girl Scout cookies. I love Girl Scout cookies, especially thin. So let me see if I have this straight. Alcohol, you know, literally being addicted to alcohol, being a drunkard. Um, being addicted to pornography, which is going to fall into the it's a sexual sin and it's adultery, is the same as having an addiction to Girl Scout cookies. This is not even properly handling the categories of sin. What's the solution to this then? Christ shed blood on the cross for those who love Girl Scout cookies? Yeah, the cross at this point doesn't make any sense in the way he's discussing it. He's not properly talking about sin as, as what it is a transgression of God's law, damnable, that can land you in hell, seriously, for real, for eternity. Instead, no, no, you know, pornography is like, you know, liking too many Girl Scout cookies. No, that's that's the analogy. We continue. Thin mints, refrigerated, better frozen. Anybody know what I'm talking about right now? I'm talking about God did that. Because I eat it and I go, oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. But I've been so down on me. I've been so aggravated and mean. I haven't focused on the positive. So I'll just be like, I'm covered the pain. So I'll eat a tube. They come in tubes. Anybody familiar right now? There's two tubes in a box. I will eat the one tube alone. Then my flesh is like, eat more, eat more, eat more. My spirit says, don't do it. Don't do it. It's not healthy. My flesh goes, do it, do it, do it. So then I eat the other half of the tube. And then I'm stuck with half a tube. Then my flesh goes, oh my gosh, you're out of control. What if Nicole finds out about it? You better finish the rest and hide the box. <laughs> so I've done it. Anybody feel my pain? So I eat it. I've went outside to the trash can, lifted up bad trash, stuck it under so nobody knew that I did it. I'm confessing to you right now. I'm jacked up. I got a lot of pain. I got issues. But Girl Scout cookies make me feel better for a minute. What is this? This is not preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins in Christ's name, like by any stretch of the imagination. And then I lay in bed and I'm like... Nicole's like, what was that? I'm like, I don't know. Are you okay? I'm fine. 
let me check you. I don't want you anywhere near me. You're going to smell thin mints. You're going to know. You haven't saying right now. I'm like, no, don't get near me. You might catch it. What I've done is I've allowed the enemy to incarcerate me instead of Jesus. So is your wife the enemy in that scenario? Because, again, I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, this has nothing to do with real sin. What I've done is I've allowed the enemy to incarcerate me instead of Jesus looking up at me and saying, Zacchaeus, come here, you little thing. You've had to overcompensate because you were short. You had to overcompensate, Cody, because you had no leg. Jesus said to Zacchaeus, come here, you little thing. I'm so sorry that you had to overcompensate because you're short. What biblical text are you reading that from? It's not in Luke 19. Legs. You had to overcompensate because they left you and they divorced you and they took advantage of you. I'm here to tell you today that God loves you and he's calling out for you today, Cody. He's calling out for me, David, and whoever you are. And then he's saying this, come off that ladder. I love you. And when he gives his love to you, now you can give your love to others. Now, here's what happens. God will ask you to do something. In my case, he told me, The other day, I exhibited some of these behaviors. And God told me, don't tell Nicole. Look her in the eyes and say, you know what I said the other day? I was kind of mean. I didn't mean that at all. Really what it is is I was insecure and I shouldn't have said that. Forgive me. Now, would you believe that it's been several days and I still haven't done that yet? I'm free to say it now because she's at the other church this morning. I'm, I'm still working on it. But when I look her in the eyes and obey God, it's going to make her more secure. It's going to make her love me more. How many know this makes people love you more when they know your pain, not love you less? When you saw Cody, you weren't like, he has no legs. What's his deal? No, you looked at him and you're like, you go. You look at you run. Look at the pain you've went, but look at the laughter that you have. Share this life that you have right now with everyone and share your pain and share your joy. But if you don't love yourself, you can't love them. So then you just keep getting meaner and obsceneer and cookies don't make you leaner. Come on, help me here. I'm writing for Jesse Jackson right now. Now, when you do it, you're doing the wrong things. Now, we know Romans eight twenty eight. it says this. It says, and we know. Everybody shout, and we know. And we know all things work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to his purpose. God has a specific, specific purpose. In- yeah, Romans eight twenty eight is taken out of context there. Romans 8, which is a wonderful passage, by the way. Uh, Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about the struggle that he continues to have as a Christian with his own sinful flesh. The good things he wants to do, he doesn't do. The bad things he wants to do, he keeps doing. This is what he's talking about, wrestling with his own sinful flesh. He says, oh, who's going to save me from this body of death? And then he gets to Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did 
by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. Those who live according to the sinful nature, they have their mind set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, have their mind set on the Spirit and what it desires. This is a great passage, right? For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh, it's hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but you are in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, are we dead? Uh, we are debtors, but not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified him. Uh, glorified with him. For I consider that all the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation, it waits and groans, eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for he who hopes for, for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we did not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, see, and how is it that we love God? Because we're saved by grace through faith, because Christ has redeemed us, purchased us. He's bled and died for our sins. He's resurrected us. We now have the spirit dwelling in us. See, this is, we know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. 
So what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Well, then who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that. He who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in these things, we are more than conquerors. In these sufferings, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither life nor death nor angels or rulers or things present or things to come nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8 is a beautiful text. And he's taking this text out of context and, and Xing out all of the important stuff to weave it into this weird story about dreaming big and weird stuff like that. But it's not about any of those things. We continue. And call on your life. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a doctor. Maybe you work at Sam's. Maybe you're a mom. Maybe you're a dad. In my case, I'm called to preach. Now, the stuff that I went through in life was called a test. Now, if you were called to preach, then you would rightly handle God's word, and you don't. So you're not called to preach. In fact, God's word tells you to step down and repent and be forgiven. Test of failure, test of betrayal, uh, trail, the test of hurt, the test of divorce, the, the test of financial loss. Now, I can come out with a testimony and say all the things that I'm saying right now and put it on display for you to see. I can actually climb the ladder of television and tell people, I don't want anything from you. I just want to minister to you. I'm one of the few preachers that never ask you for money on television. We do this because God allowed my test to be a testimony. Now, I could have said, we're just going to have the monies. I just can't believe we're going to do this. It's horrible. No, or you could say, no, no, no. God works all things together for my good. And we're going to make the devil eat this one because what didn't kill me is going to make me stronger. Come on. God's going to turn it for my good. Like Joseph from the pit to the palace, you've been born of God. First John 5, it says this. It says, for whatsoever is born of God is victorious over the enemy. You're not a victim. You're a victor. But if you play the victim card, which is easy to do to feel sorry for yourself, and I've done that. I've been listening to the radio and been like, oh, man, this is just sad. Can't believe it. Can't believe this happened to me. And you get down and down and down and down and down. You go lower and lower. And then you realize, I got to climb up out of here. So then you change the station. You start listening to something that changes your state of your emotions. And you start saying, I know what. God's going to turn this around. I'm going to live again. I'm going to love again because I'm called according to his purpose. And it's really hard when you're Zacchaeus and you're short in an area. You're short-tempered. You're short in your finances. You're short in life. You're like, man. No, Zacchaeus was actually physically short. He wasn't short in an area. He was of little stature. (sighs) Now we're allegorizing Zacchaeus' shortness. God, why did this happen to me? I don't know why it happened to you, but we can turn this situation around. Cody, I don't know what happened. It's horrible. They had to cut his legs off. 
But he said, no, no, no. I'm just going to grow a new set of legs and I'm going to live my life full of zeal and zest. And he today has helped me preach because of the bad thing that happened to him. He has turned it around. And now I'm so proud of Cody. I want to tell the whole world what success looks like even when you were cut off. Rather than tell the whole world to repent of their sins and be forgiven because Christ has bled and died for their sins. You can tell the whole world about success. This is a wolf, indicative of the celebrity pastor type. Cut off at your legs. Come on, give God praise to him. But you have to love you. I want to say it again. You have to love you. Not repent and be forgiven. Love God. You have to love you. The story of Zacchaeus isn't about self-love, now is it? It's really about love of God and love of neighbor, is it not? And repentance and being forgiven. But it's hard to love you if you don't even like you. I don't know why people don't like being around me. Well, do you like being around you? No, I don't like me either. I don't blame them. Misery loves company. You got the Archie Bunker. Anybody in here old enough to remember that guy? You got that Archie Bunker syndrome? Laugh a little and make yourself laugh. Now, if you're like Zacchaeus and you've had a lot of people cut you down, then you tend not to laugh and love again. Do you remember when you were a kid, you just laughed? Remember when you were a kid, you just run? Remember what it was like to just run? Come on, raise your hand. If you're somebody like, no, I was a little fat kid. I didn't run. I never ran. You were running. You were running free. I go into my daughter's room sometimes. She just laughs for no reason. This morning on the way to church, she was sitting next to me. And I drank. She had this like little drink. And I took a drink. She said, hey boy, that's my drink. She made me laugh and she's just being silly. And I'm kind of looking at her like, I don't have time to laugh. I've got seven services to preach today. Does this have anything to do with the story of Zacchaeus? Not a thing. Nothing. He's preaching about himself. The reason he's preaching about himself and not Christ, the reason he's preaching about himself and not repentance and the forgiveness of sins, the reason why he really left out the whole sin thing in the story of Zacchaeus and how Christ came to seek and save that which was lost, talking about lost sinners, is because to preach those messages jeopardizes his celebrity. He needs a very broad message that has an appeal to a huge audience and preaching the Zacchaeus text accurately and talking about sin, repentance, and the forgiveness of sins, well, that's the cross, and the cross is an offense, and offenses don't, well, do a very good job of helping a man like, well, David Crank improve and enhance his celebrity. A Christmas rehearsals, dude, got all kinds of problems. What in the world? What? And then I looked at her looking at me like. And I thought, what are you doing? She's only 10 once. Enjoy today. You're like, I'm 43. Well, someday you'll be 73 and you'll be like, I remember when I was 43, man. I was young and spry. Because there's stuff that you have right now that you don't know you have that's going to hurt 10 years from now that doesn't hurt today, so enjoy today. Well, my knee hurts. Well, thank God you got a knee. Cody doesn't have a knee. He doesn't say, man, my toe's killing me. It's gone. So enjoy your life. Quit cutting yourself off at the legs and make yourself like you. Mm-hmm. So he's got to be just like Cody. You, just, you, need, you, got, you need to be more like Cody. You know, I don't know who Cody is, but... 
Yeah, you need to be more like him, not like Jesus, Cody. Mm. Yeah, his life, his story of you know he he does all these things with no legs. He's such an inspiration, but you know what he isn't? He's not being used towards telling people you need to repent and be forgiven. This is a completely different message. There's nothing Christian about this. We continue. Well, how do you do that? Renewing your mind, understanding what God has done for you. If God thought you were unlovable. He would not have climbed that ladder called Calvary. He would not have hung on the cross to suffer and die for you. So if you're covering up your pain today with girls, you okay with that? It's so close to being a gospel nugget. He wouldn't have climbed that ladder of Calvary to suffer and die for you. It sounds like the gospel, right? But what does it mean? What does it mean to suffer and die for me? Why did Jesus have to suffer and die for me? I don't know. You know, you're, let's pretend you're a pagan. Okay, and you're you're there because you saw an advertising billboard out there in uh, St. Louis for uh, David Crank's uh, church, and you said, oh, "Just figure I'll go find out what the show is all about." And you show up, and so you heard that Jesus died for you. Okay, what does it mean? Does this person know they need to be brought to repentance now? Have they? Do they feel contrite and sorry for their sins because? Well, Jesus died for them. They And do they realize they need to repent and be forgiven? Did they understand? Have they heard any of that? No, not a, none of it. We continue. Scott Cookies, like I do, or alcohol or pornography or list whatever it is. If you're covering that up, Jesus went and died for you to make you more than a conqueror. The Bible said that we're... Jesus died for you to make you more than a conqueror? I thought the gospel according to, well, it's laid out in very clear form in 1 Corinthians 15 is Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Christ died to make you more than a conqueror. So Jesus is there hanging on the cross so that I can be more than a conqueror. That's a different gospel. We're more than conquerors, more than conquerors through him that loved us and gave himself for us. We're not just conquerors. Notice I said it twice. We're more than. What's more than than me? Let me tell you. I'm glad you asked more than conquerors. A few years back, it's been many years now, there was a fighter named Evander Holyfield. And Evander was a great champion boxer. And he had a hole in his heart. The doctor said, we can never clear you to fight again. Evander heard that my dad and another pastor were in Philadelphia one weekend, was preaching on the area of healing and praying for the sick. So Evander flew with his guys and his private jet and landed in Philadelphia. They came to the back room where I was standing, my dad was standing, and this other gentleman, and he told us the story. He said, you know, they say I'll never fight again, but I believe that God does heal after hearing these messages of hope, and would you pray for me? So they prayed for him that God would heal him. And then he said when he was leaving, hey, you know what? I like you guys to pray for my relationship. I've been married several times. I can't find the right woman. There's a lot of women that want to be with me. And I, I just, I know they're not the right one. I, I want a woman that loves me for me. It just so happens that one of our doctor friends here from St. Louis, this African-American woman, she wouldn't love him for his money at all. In fact, she wouldn't mind telling him what to do if he had money or didn't have money. She was looking for a husband. I thought of her. We ended up introducing them. Subsequently, they started dating. They got married. They're living at their place there in Atlanta. Oh, wow. I mean, isn't it great? The celebrity pastor is able to help the celebrity boxer. And now he's a celebrity matchmaker. And, you know, he's dropping names. And, oh, how important he is. Isn't it weird we're not really hearing about Jesus? Jesus died to make you more than a conqueror. I have no idea what that means, nor is there a passage that actually says that. 
if he's just ripped it out of context, and Jesus climbs the cross and dies so that you can be more than a conqueror. Why? Why did Jesus have to die so I can be more than a conqueror? That doesn't make any sense. Atlanta, and the doctors cleared Evander to fight again. She stayed home with the children, and Evander went to Las Vegas. He was there that night, and we all watched online around the world as Evander fought. Not only did he fight, he was the conqueror. Even though the opponent bit his ear off that night, he still fought, and he won. Now, he was a conqueror. Now, his wife standing there in Atlanta, she never trained. She never got on the plane. She never got in the ring. She never broke a sweat. But he brought all that money home. She was more than a conqueror. He was a conqueror, but she was more than a conqueror. My mm, so being more, so Jesus died so that you could be more than a conqueror, and that means bringing lots and lots of money home. Uh-huh. That's not taught in the Bible at all. The point is... Jesus suffered and died, climbed up that ladder, died on the cross, and now he said, you're more than a conqueror. In other words, you don't have to fight in this war any longer. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of God. And that's why I'm in your living room today letting you know that if God be for you, come on, somebody, who and what can be against you? What? Yeah, this is an idol named Jesus. It's not God. It's really not the biblical Jesus. This is an idol named He climbed the ladder so that you can be more than a conqueror and by that we mean money you know uh-huh boy this is the kind of false gospel because that's what it is the dams the apostle paul in galatians chapter one says even if we or an angel from heaven should appear to you and preach a gospel other than one already preached let him be anathema eternally damned is what anathema means damned and if you didn't hear what I said, let me say it again. If, if Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach you a gospel other than one other he preached, let him be damned. This is a false gospel. This is a different gospel. This is a damning gospel. This is not a gospel of salvation. This is a gospel that keeps people in bondage to sin, death, and the devil and plays on their greed and their narcissism. And tells him, oh, Jesus is all about making you wealthy, making you the you. And, oh, you're going to be more than a conqueror. You're the bee's knees and all of that kind of stuff. Again, this doesn't set sinners free from sin, death, and the devil. It keeps them in bondage to that. And all they're doing is worshiping a false god who happens to be named Jesus. But the enemy meant to harm you. God will turn it for your good. You're more than a conqueror. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to be lovable. He loves you just the way you are. Not only does he love you, he likes you. You can love somebody and not like them. The people in relationships right now that are like, I love him, but I don't like him. I love her, but I don't like her. But not only does God love you, he likes you. He wants to be with you. When you realize this revelation like Zacchaeus, you'll come off of that syndrome of what they said about you and you receive what he said about you. And then you're like, you know what? Let every man be a liar and let God's word be true. What they say doesn't matter when you find out what he says. He loved you. He gave you a unique thumbprint to leave an imprint that nobody else could leave. You have a divine purpose. You have a divine call. And may I add that part of the reason why the enemy and the enemy has fought you so hard is because he knew if you would ever get this revelation, you would share it with the world. 
I guarantee you that the devil wishes he wouldn't have played me so hard because he didn't really realize that I would get on television and I would tell the whole world. God. Yeah, are you kidding? The devil's the one who literally made all the connections so that you could be on television and spread this false gospel. You're doing the devil's work, David. God is going to turn it for your good. You've been through a divorce. God can turn it around and you can be happy again. I've been there. You've been living in an abasement apartment, broke and disgusted. I've been there. But God will raise you out. No of- no repentance. Oh, you've been divorced. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's a sin going on there. You've been divorced. Uh-huh. God's going to raise you up. No repentance necessary. No talk of sin. Those are just things that are holding you back from you being more than a conqueror. Oh, man up and out and you'll come out with a shout and a testimony and then the enemy will say man i wish i hadn't messed with that guy i wish i hadn't messed with that girl because the best of your life is going to be the rest of your life when you come into agreement with god and you like you for you in your current condition you like you for you in your sinful current condition he wants you to celebrate and just embrace your sinful condition rather than repent of it and be forgiven This is utter blasphemy. Huh? In your current condition? Well, I'll be happy when I have kids. No, you won't. I'll be happy when my kids go to school. Why would they come home? I'll be happy when they move out. I'll be happy when they come back to see me. We keep putting our happiness off till tomorrow. I wish I was a four. So the story of Zacchaeus is all about your happiness. Really? But I'm a 14. I wish I was a 14. I'm a 24. Just take a scissors and cut off the two or the one and be a four and rock that. Eat your stuff. Enjoy your life. There's somebody going to love you. I wish I was white. And I wish I was black. So you got all the white people going to tanning beds. You got all the skinny people saying, I'm too skinny. You got all the heavy people saying, I'm too fat. What is right? Right is whatever you are comfortable with right now. In your Right is whatever you're comfortable with right now? <clears throat> really? I mean, this is a complete evacuation of the biblical teaching on what sin is, what truth is, what's right and wrong. Good night. Your life and in your skin, enjoy your nose, enjoy your ears. Nicole is so tall. Everyone tells her, I wish I was your height. I would be my right weight. (laughs) Nicole says, I feel so tall. I can't wear high heels. I say, you rock those high heels. We'll go to a party. And she's two foot taller than me at a party. And people, guys that are insecure will come up and say, aren't you, don't you? Doesn't that make you uncomfortable? I'm like, no, I'm proud. I let people know that's my wife up there. I like that one right there. Come on down here, baby. Give me. That's why I carry this ladder so I can get up there and kiss. Rocket. If you're short, rocket. You do George Jefferson. Moving on up. Get over here, Wheezy. You rock short. You rock whatever they say is the right height. You rock too tall, you rock too fat, you rock too skinny, you be you. God loves you, and if you're insecure and you don't like you, you'll keep allowing people to throw rocks at you because they don't know your heart. Here's the thing. Everybody would like you if they really knew your heart. 
And yet Jesus says it's out of the heart that comes all kinds of sinful desires that actually gives birth to sin. Weird, huh? Yeah, if you really can see into my heart, I guarantee you, you wouldn't really like me. Um, you'd probably avoid me like the plague. And same with you. If I could look into your heart and see what's in there, oh, man, you would die of embarrassment and shame. Exactly. I don't know what this guy's thinking. They like you. Have you ever misjudged somebody? That's why the Bible says judge not lest you be judged. Have you ever judged somebody and you thought they sure think they're all that in a bag of chips? And then you get to know them and you're like, wow, that's the nicest person I ever met. Come on, raise your old nasty hand right now. So we judge them wrong because we look at the outward appearance, the Bible says, and God looks at the heart. He's looking at your heart right now. Which isn't good news because Jesus, like I said, it's out of the heart comes all these sinful desires. Good night. This is what happens when you just kind of free, you know, you know, freestyle it um, without any connection to an actual biblical text rightly handled. Oh, man, this is a mess. This isn't biblical theology. This isn't sound doctrine. This isn't what Scripture teaches. This is a bunch of slogans somehow roughly and in a very weird kind of way supposedly connected to the story of Zacchaeus. Uh Uh-huh. That's why a lot of people who watch us here in Palm Beach and in St. Louis, they go, the one thing I do that touches my heart all the time is when I hear people say, I know you're being you, David, because if you were faking, you wouldn't be that. You'd be something else because that's too vulnerable. That's too uneducated. That's so different. I found out that I could be on the stage at the church here and I could be somebody else. But then when I got off stage, if I wasn't really me, I wouldn't really enjoy it. And then while I was up here trying to be somebody else, I would forget who I was trying to be. So I figured the best thing that I could do is just be me on stage. And then people would see that's the me here. That is the me when I go. Still preaching about himself. He's not preaching Christ. He's not preaching God's word. He's preaching himself. Go to Walmart. It's the me when I go out to dinner. If you see me somewhere, you never have to worry. Will I judge you because your hair is green or you have no hair. You have earrings all over here and earrings here that looks like, you you know, you fell down the, the, the steps of the tackle box. You never have to wonder if I'm judging you. If you wear your pants up here, people that wear their pants up here judge people that wear their pants down here. I don't like it either when they wear their pants down here, but I found out that I don't judge them because I went to a gas station the other day and I saw a guy walk in. I was pumping gas. He walked in, his pants was here, and I thought, that is so crazy. Why do you, you're, we don't want to see your underwear. That's ridiculous. And I was walking in as he was walking out, and he was the kindest, gentlest man that I ever met. He opened the door and he said, I love what you do, Pastor David. And my mom's been trying to get me to go to your church. And I think I want to try it sometime. And I felt this big. I'm telling you, when we judge people because of whatever condition we look at them at, we're probably judging wrong. If we'll judge them according to their heart, then we can love everybody. And we can't see people's heart. We only see their outward condition. No, if we would judge them as equals, as equal sinners that Christ died for, then we can love them. I'm begging you today to change this impression that you have about your outward condition. If you're a 14, a 24, if you're too tall, your nose got broke, you got one ear, you're missing an arm. I'm telling you, Jesus said, if you're halt or maim, you're going to enter into the kingdom of God. Enter in joyfully, enter in full of blessing. Come on now, enter in full of favor and know that God 
loves you. Now, David's right. God loves you. But let me tell you what that love entails. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by him by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies of God we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, including me and you, because all have sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Sin is not counted where there is no law, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one to come. But the free gift, it's not like the trespass. For if the many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin, for by for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase trespass, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through the righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's what the love of God is all about. God does love you, love you so much that he died for your sins, took your sins upon himself, was your substitute in your place, and suffered the wrath of God in your place so that you can be forgiven so that the record of debts in the books would be torn out and nailed to the cross with the words debt paid in full on them, so that there's nothing to condemn you. Because you are a sinner who has deserved and earned hell all by yourself. And yet Christ died for your sins. Repent, therefore, and be forgiven. Because this is what the love of God is all about, forgiving sinners. Sinners as wretched as myself, sinners as wretched as you. This is what the love of God is about, and that's what you didn't hear from David Crank. So what'd you think? If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. <laughs>